You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMARQ. Each episode features a unique discussion led by public sector executive and global government thought leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. Technology is not going to be the solution by itself that solves the world's problems or the nation's problems. Say, okay, now we've got a better widget to provide our services. When you don't take into consideration on how those services can actually be fulfilled, you know, where, you know, for me, looking at rural development as a CIO there, I can talk about technology and talk about how great it would be if somebody could fill a loan uh, on their iPhone. Well, what if they don't have the broadband capabilities to connect using, you know, their iPhone? You know, they had to go into an office to actually fill out paperwork, right? And maybe part of that loan was to provide them the capability to expand the utilities that can get them there, right? So it's, it's about understanding the why certain processes were done and how they were delivered. And most importantly for me as, a, as an executive and CIO, was to partner. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. Government CIOs trying to scale digital solutions face a range of obstacles, many of the biggest of which are not technical. Taking direct action on these issues which can range from breaking down silos to mitigating digital skills gaps and lack of resources, is critical to digital transformation in government. If these challenges are left unaddressed, digital government programs really run the risk of losing sustained funding and, of course, the ability for organizations to leverage the promised benefits of digital solutions. Gartner Research is showing that the majority of governments around the world have yet to scale digital solutions across their organizations and it's important for us to understand the biggest obstacles facing these leaders so we can help tackle them head on. Joining us today to help us do that is former Federal Communications Commission CIO Francisco Salguero. He also served as CIO at USDA and is now a senior leader at Salesforce where he's helping government accelerate their digital maturity so they can accomplish the goals they set out to achieve. Francisco, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me, buddy. Thank you, Brian. Really appreciate this opportunity. So before we talk about your time in government and some of the things you're working on at Salesforce, I want to ask you about something that I know is a passion of yours, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And it's interesting to me because I've seen a lot of people in, in leadership roles that participate in the sport and they speak really highly of what it's taught them. So I'm really curious, what lessons have you taken from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu into other aspects of your life, including your career? It's a great question, just because, you know, it is definitely a passion of mine. I've been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for over 17 years now. And uh, really, for me, it's it's not just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but just combat sports in general. I've been doing some sort of combat sports since I was a little kid, you know, as as most of us do Taekwondo or some sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, traditional martial arts. And evolved into wrestling in high school and boxing. Um, so for me, you know, it's not just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but in general combat sports. Um, it's really taught me the, the, really the discipline necessary and hard work to basically achieve a goal. Uh, you know, when a lot of times when people start Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's all about, okay, I want to become a black belt. 
and I want to become this or that, or I want to compete uh, and pushing yourself to do those things. But as times evolve for me and for most of us that continue to do it, it becomes more of the journey itself, right? So it's not just about achieving a black belt, but it's about actually learning and continuing to grow. I mean, I think to me, you know, combat sports in general, uh, a lot of folks look at it at the, the violent side of things, but really it's the beauty and the technique and strategy that, you know, you have to apply to basically achieve, again, a goal. You know, you have something that you're looking to do and you're putting in the work and time and effort to do so. It's not just about, you know, having the heart and the never quit mentality, but it's also about making sure you have the right technique and strategy that, for me, translate back into the professional world. It's about, you know, making sure that you put the right time and effort in the things that you're doing, no matter what it is, and that you're learning and you continue to learn. I think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is not something that, okay, I've learned and mastered all the techniques available because it's continually evolving, continually changing. And that's something we definitely see in the IT, right? IT world, technology does not stop and say, okay, now you've achieved and you're the ultimate solution because those solutions that's change, right? They evolve over time. And the same thing with VJJ. I mean, and for me, it's, it's also about teaching how to be humble and not walking on the mat and thinking that you know everything and you can beat everybody because that's, no matter when you think that, that's at the time that you're going to get tapped or choked, I mean, which for folks that are involved, they know what that means. Not uh, involved into that sport is, you know, you're literally going to make somebody stop and say, okay, no more because, you you know, they're either in a position to be choked or submitted where you do joint manipulation. Yeah. I, so I don't talk about it very often. You mentioned Taekwondo and it, it made me think back. So I... When I was a kid, I actually did Taekwondo like a lot of us do. And I ended up getting my, my black belt uh, by the time I was in eighth grade. But the, the reason I joined, my parents actually put me in because I was growing so fast. I mean, I'm, I'm six foot three now. But by the time I was in fourth or fifth grade, I was, I was already as tall as my dad. I was about 5'10", coming on six foot. And my coordination was just awful. I mean, my parents used to joke that I couldn't walk up the stairs without falling over. So um, it, 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 there's obviously the physical aspect of it, but you're right. The discipline of it, setting out to achieve a goal and my ultimate sport was soccer where, where I played soccer in college and, and even a little bit professionally. And without that type of not only discipline, but, but physical foundation that it gave me, I wouldn't have been able to have the same drive to achieve what I, what I achieved there. And then also it's the foundation, like you said, for the discipline that you bring into things you do every day, including including your career. So um, I appreciate you sharing a little bit about that passion. It's it's definitely something that I can tell comes through as as you're as you're talking. You're definitely very passionate about it. Definitely, it's something that I carry on with myself, and I try to pass it on to my son. And you know, no matter for me, it's Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, right? It's combat sports, but for others, it can be anything, right? Whether it's music or you know, for you, like soccer, things like that. It's always about the discipline and the hard work. I mean, it's nothing better than to have that pay off at the end. Definitely. So you, you spent some time, obviously, in the public sector. Now you've gone back into the private sector. But I'm, I'm curious, when you did join the public sector and kind of uh, evolve your career there, what really drove that passion of yours to, to join the government service? So to be honest, it, it was 
a lot of different things. Uh, one of the main things was actually I was working at SAIC at the time, um, you know, when I right before joined the public sector and I was traveling nationwide, actually up to Alaska, Washington State, Oregon. Uh, and so it was a little self-serving of saying, look, I'm kind of tired of this travel. My son was four years old at the time. I wanted to spend more time at home, you know, less time on the road. So it was looking at that, but, you know, as time evolved and I got to better understand the government and actually I started at the USDA food safety, food safety inspection service. And honestly, when I thought of USDA, for me, it was about, you know, the grocery store. When you look at you know, produce or you look at meats and things like that, as time evolved, I got to better understand the vast mission of USDA that includes you know, loans and grants to rural America, uh, fighting forest fires, you know, U.S. Forest Service, as well as, you know, the food safety where it's looking at, you know, the meat, poultry products, uh, eggs and catfish and saying, okay, how do we keep the public citizens safe and make sure they have the right uh, information and the right, um, you know, produce for them in, in the grocery store. So for me, it became more than just about the self-serving aspect that got me into public service, but really got me into a passion for being able to deliver those things to U.S. citizens and being about a mission, which is bigger than oneself, right? It's really about doing the work that each and every day people in rural America, in you know, U.S. can really take forth and feel safe in the products and services provided by USDA. Um, so that that's really you know, initially it's a little self-serving, uh, but it grew into a, a real passion for service in the federal government. You'll find a lot of public servants that that's really becomes an integral part of what they feel and what why they spend so many years within federal service. And kind of uh, sometimes we find, we talk about, you know, how employees stay there for 30, 40 years, and you don't find that in the private sector. You know, folks, you know, the 10, 15 years, that's a huge milestone. But in the federal service and the folks that I've got to work with and, and really become friends with, they can stay in, in a particular agency or department for 30 or 40 years. It's a very different world. You touched on something in there. Um, actually, actually, two things I, I wanted to ask you about. One, the diversity of things that government does and not only across agency you use the example around usda and all the different um, missions that usda has to carry out i'm curious if you put your your government executive hat on for a second how do you go about making sure that you're able to support those missions in in the way they need to be supported especially through technology because even when you're at FCC, obviously there, there's a diverse mission there as well. And you need to be able to bring into the full policies and technologies that are fit for purpose across kind of a number of different theaters. How do you go about doing that? Great question. And that's something that, you know, as an executive and for me specifically as a CIO was critical to partner with the programs and mission folks to understand the services that they were providing and understand how and why, you know, certain processes were needed to be undertaken because technology is not going to be the solution by itself 
that solves the world's problems or the nation's problems say, okay, now we've got a better widget to provide our services. When you don't take into consideration on how those services can actually be fulfilled, you know, where, you know, for me, looking at uh, rural, you know, rural development as a CIO there, you know, I can talk about technology and talk about how great it would be if somebody could fill a loan uh, on their iPhone. Well, what if they don't have the broadband capabilities to connect using, you know, their iPhone? You know, they had to go into an office to actually fill out paperwork, right? And maybe part of that loan was to provide them the capabilities to expand the utilities that can get them there, right? So it's it's about understanding, you know, the why certain processes were done and how they were delivered. And most importantly for me as, a, as an executive and CIO, was to partner. So it wasn't about just the technology aspect of it, but it's really working with them so you could become a trusted advisor and a trusted partner and really have a significant and, and a well-established seat at the table that they understood you know, what your role was as a CIO and how you could help them deliver the mission. It feels like that's something that government has evolved into and is actually doing a really good job right now if we use um, customer experience as an example in the recent executive order, one of the things they talk about is kind of putting the citizen at the center of, of everything they're doing. And as, as a CIO, I would imagine you have to also put the employee at the center of what you're doing because the employee is the one that, that is driving that outcome. And that's something that government had, hadn't necessarily focused on. It would look at maybe a technology they wanted to roll out, but didn't think all the way through to the outcome and work its way back to the end user. Um, so definitely a change in mindset, it seems like, which actually brings me to my second question. You talked about the longevity of employees that are serving in public sector, some 30, 40 years. One of the big topics of conversation, especially with the new different technologies being folded into uh, the the government is reskilling, right? The ability to take an employee who understands programs, understands the mission of the organization, but doesn't have the technical capabilities sometimes to work with emerging technologies that that are cutting edge using 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 artificial intelligence and RPA and, and things like that to to drive those outcomes forward. How did you approach leveraging your workforce and reskilling them so they're they can kind of meet the needs of what the technology can offer. So a lot of that in the rescaling is not, um, I guess I'll start by it's not looking at just the IT folks, because sometimes what you'll find is the, you know, IT organization for the most part will be looking at reskilling, right? So a lot of times we've changed from developers into project managers and program managers and so there has been a, a constant change, right? Because, you know, like we talked about even our initial discussion, right? IT and technology, it's ever-changing. Um, so it's really about also reskilling and, you know, progressing the employees within the programs. Uh, you know, at USDA specifically, uh, that's one of the things that we developed with the RPA, um, actually under the CFO's office, was reskilling some of the folks within the CFO finance organization so that they could better understand how RPA worked and actually 
uh, you know, given the tools and mechanisms and knowledge to work on solution sets that would eventually uh, evolve into helping them focus on the work they need to do from a finance perspective. Um, so it's really about broadening the reskilling to not just the IT folks, but the program and uh, mission folks that are also delivering the services to the citizens. Uh, it, it's one of those things that when we take we think about IT and we think about training and reskilling things like that. We have to broaden it further because really those are the, the the folks and people that affect the culture. And to really get them involved and to give them the uh, the appetite, if you will, to change, it's got to start with giving them the tools and mechanisms and understanding of how technology and how things can work, and not really talk about the bits and bytes and you know, a lot of times in the past, developers, they kind of focused on, well, let me explain to you how I did this and even start talking about code, which, you know, folks, they're going to roll their eyes and <laughs> move on to the next thing, right? Because that's not really what they want to talk about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things we, we've talked about on this show is how when you look at kind of the modernization efforts happening in government, it's it doesn't start with the technology it starts with the people and then when you bring the technology in the idea is to get that technology as close to the program level as possible with those with those people in place so i think the reskilling efforts you're right that i think that's that should be the focus and then they can be the the true partners to that it group to to help the overall mission succeed so and you were working in public service for almost a decade and a half. And then now you've moved into the private sector um, in it for the last six months or so um, at Salesforce. So tell me a little bit about kind of what that, what that transition looked like for you. And what do you feel like your time in public sector really taught you that, that you're bringing into your, into your role there? Sure. Absolutely. So really what I'm focused on, what I've been focused on the last few months is uh, really bringing my knowledge and experience and expertise into Salesforce and helping them actually, you know, as we're trying to deliver those solutions, as you talked about, in, we talked about in the previous question, right, is how can we enable uh, folks to better, uh, you know, appreciate, understand, and evolve in leveraging the Salesforce and technology and platform and ecosystem, right? So it's really about, um, I want to be able to help agencies take away valuable insights from what private sector uh, has been doing for years into innovating digital services and translating that into what we can do within the federal government itself. Um, you know, for me, what I was really drawn into this opportunity, it actually provided me a platform to help agencies kind of leverage their investments in the Salesforce ecosystem to build and improve, you know, and expand on the platform. And basically, as you talked about customer experience, making it easier for, you know, citizens to find information or services that helps to, you know, improve their lives. It's really about taking what I've, you know, had the great opportunity of doing at USDA and the FCC and expanding it to not just those two agencies, but broaden it to the federal, um, you know, industry and, and public sector in general. Very cool. I mean, so it sounds like you're going to be able to take that passion that you had in, in your roles in government and really scale out the impact that you can have. Because I mean, Salesforce has a huge ecosystem across government. So you're going to touch a lot of different agencies, I would imagine. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, I can remember my time at USDA and, you know, leveraging different uh, platforms. And it's really about understanding and taking those. And for me, it's, it's one of the things I always talked about my team is making sure you're leveraging your investment. And, and that, to me, is something that I want to be able to take on and continue forward, right? And saying, uh, you know, how customers and you know, agencies can make a true impact by leveraging their investments in the Salesforce ecosystem. You talked about customer experience there. I'm I'm curious just to get your thoughts on the recent executive order that came out. So so you were at Salesforce at the time when when it came out. Um, but knowing n- knowing what you know coming from the government side and now being in in the private sector, what are your thoughts on on the government's approach to modernizing customer experience? right now that's a actually when we've talked looked at customer experiences it's uh not necessarily a new concept uh, i recall back at usda when we did the centers of excellence we had a, a center of excellence specific on customer experience um and so you know the government whether explicitly or implicitly government experience has always been central to what the missions are trying to provide uh, the difference, or I would say the change into now is there is a focus on it from not just the mission and the way the programs are actually provided, but also from how IT can be used to make it even easier, right? Um, so for me, it, it's about taking that and kind of adding a little ump to it, if you will, right? Uh, giving it maybe some, uh, an extra shot and saying, okay, how can we even further accelerate the customer experience. Um, you know, one of the things that's going to be very important is agencies look to continue it further is to really take a different approach and not talk about, you know, how can we take some of these um, experiences and, and say, okay, we're going to build new ones, but really leverage it and build the existing um the existing technologies and solution sets that are in place and actually affecting change to the legacy system, to the legacy programs, uh, and not just the new ones. And it's really taking the human-centered design approach and really putting the customer in the middle and saying, okay, we don't do this just because of the process that we've had for the last 20, 30 years, but how do we actually make this more efficient and better and look at it from a process perspective, not just the technology side? Was that something that you saw um, in government? Because it feels like that's something that at least I've seen where as agencies have been folding on, not all agencies, but some agencies, as they've been folding technology into the ecosystem, they haven't started with the process. And they've tried to just layer the technology in thinking it would either speed it up or automate it, but they didn't look at some of the kinks perhaps in the process to make sure it actually fits and can be effective with the technology. Is that something that you think is still going on in government right now? Uh, I would say yes, from what I've seen and based on my experience. And some of it happens to be making sure you have the right uh, folks involved, you know, from the very beginning, that really IT modernization and digital acceleration is not just about the IT side of things. It shouldn't be about just having the IT folks in the room and develop a solution set, but most importantly, also having the program and mission folks, because it really needs to start at the culture. You know, is there an appetite for change 
for processes to evolve. Uh, and now look at it is how are we trying to replicate what we're doing today in the existing or in new technology? Because in, you know, what you're actually going to get at the end of the day is the, the same problem. And it's something, I, you know, if you think about it, right, if somebody's used to having a green button at the top right-hand corner and they say, I want a green button at the top right-hand corner, no matter how good your platform or solution is, if you're focused on just delivering that specific functionality, you may miss the boat on actually evolving your system and modernizing to an application that can be supported and sustainable for the future. And so it's really not about having that green button, but what is that green button actually doing? And are you doing it in the most efficient manner? Now, we know that government, there's certain processes, there's certain legislation, there's certain things that need to happen, but it's understanding what are those requirements and can you actually look at, can I get the final output that's required in a particular form uh, or a particular manner and not just look about, okay, how does my data entry start? And I shouldn't really take a form, a paper form, and replicate it onto a onto the screen because that may not get you the best result. You may have duplicative information. You may have contradicting information just about, you know, how, you know, time changes and how services are actually provided. So that's an important thing. It's having processes, having culture um, really affected is more important than the technology itself. So I, I've had current CIOs, CTOs, former CIOs, CTOs like like yourself on the show, and, and we've talked about things like this, and, and they've all said very similar things. So obviously the, the leadership in government has understood this and, and they know it, but there there's still challenges, right, to getting to, to getting across the line. What are some of those challenges in your opinion? What, what did you face when you were when you were in these leadership roles? Because you knew where you wanted to go, but obviously sometimes it just becomes difficult to get there. So can you tell us what some of those some of those challenges were that you faced? Sure. So some of it actually starts uh, with something we talked about previously or just a little bit ago was, you know, while, you know, as I mentioned, it's great uh, for folks to be mission minded and, and thought, you know, and having been in the government for 30 and 40 years, that's a lot of great knowledge. But at the same time, those are embedded and set processes, set ways of thinking um, so the mindset and the process uh, that is undertaken, not from the IT side, but from the business side, that's something that's uh, important to look at, that you can't start IT modernization, you can't start changing on how you're delivering the IT side of things without first looking at the processes, first looking at understanding why certain things are done and how they can be done maybe in a different way, uh, you know, and I think one of the huge areas that sometimes may get lost is building a trust and partnership between IT and the business is ultimately, in my view, very critical uh, because the business and the programs and those folks, they have to have the trust in the CIO and the IT organization that they're not just delivering the printer, uh, they're not just delivering, you know, computers on their desk or just providing help desk support services, but they're actually providing solutions that will ultimately affect the citizens and the mission that they're delivering. And if they don't have that level of trust, 
then the appetite to change is not going to be there. That's necessary to true uh, affecting and lasting uh, modernized IT ecosystem within agencies. Um, so to me, it's really about building trust and partnerships within the IT community and the mission and program folks. No, it, it makes it makes absolute sense. It feels like sometimes when those groups are collaborating, did you ever get the sense that it's like they were speaking two different languages? Oh, absolutely. You know, that's, I think one of the things that I definitely learned from uh, to be an effective CIO, you have to be able to speak in the language that folks can understand. Um, so the, it's really about communications. And as a CIO, as a part of an executive team of IT leadership, you have to be able to speak to the developers in the geek speak, if you will, but you also have to be able to work, translate, and speak in the language that the mission and program folks can also understand. So understanding those two those two groups, obviously you need to be able to stay up on what's current, right? So you're not only speaking their language, but you're you're also gaining their trust and vice versa. So as you've evolved through your career and, and you're doing this, where have you gone to kind of self-educate, to kind of make sure you're staying on, on um, the cutting edge of what type of technologies and, and programs and processes are out there? A huge part of that, uh, you know, and I think it's not just for CIOs. It, it's, you know, at all levels is about building a network um, of trusted folks that you can work with and talk to both on the technical side of things and also most importantly for those that come from the IT background and, tech and technology, it's also building it on the program side so that you can pick up the phone and say, well, can, can you explain to me how this form 123 actually works and you know what's the process that you undertake with talking to somebody out in the field is very important. Um, so to me is building that trust in that network so you can understand what, you know, the, the mission is doing and how they're doing things. But it's, it's also about also continuous, you know, development and learning, uh, whether it's periodicals and, you know, getting it more embedded into um, certain specific industry areas, where, whether it's food safety or whether it's rural development. Uh, you know, or even the FCC as well, you know, where I had to uh, learn how auctions actually worked for broadband uh, for different uh, spectrums and things like that. So those those different uh, themes in, in vernacular become part of what you do and, you know, what you actually are delivering for an IT side. So it, there's a gambit of things, you know, and even looking at industry um, forums where, you know, I would actually get the opportunity to, to not only look at from an IT side of things, but look at what the business and what the, uh, the trends were looking at, um, different things that are going on. Those forums you mentioned are really good places to learn. In fact, that's where you and I met. It was a round table where we were both participating in, well, you were at FCC, I think, and being able to have those bi-directional conversations with people in industry is really valuable. So now, if we're going to look at industry as a whole, with your CIO hat on, what recommendations would you give them? What should they stop doing? What should they start doing? That sort of thing. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, you know, 
almost I'll kind of put those together in the same area of the start is really of understanding that IT is not just about technology. Uh, true IT modernization and digital transformation, it's also about the culture uh, and the appetite for change, really. It's about making sure those uh, tools and technologies being implemented or worked on truly make a lasting change that really does not occur overnight. It's really about uh, embracing incremental change. It's about looking at what are things that can be done, you know, in the next six months, 18 months, you know, 12 months, as opposed to what can be done in the next two to four years. Uh, because when you look at those, it, it becomes very difficult. It's well, um, you know, when you look at industry, um, you know, if we're talking about from the private sector, helping out the public sector side of things, it's about getting them to understand. And it's, it's not easy. And it's not something that it's just about IT alone. And it's not about just the program mission alone, but it's about those two uh, entities together and then working with them and building a trust and partner partnership that can really last. You know, I would really say about, for me, when I, the stop side of things, um, you know, if the industry we're talking about, you know, within the federal government, uh, I would look at it and say, okay, how can we stop and just to continue to applying band-aids on top of band-aids, you know, uh, for specifically on legacy systems. Um, you know, I think this pandemic, uh, it's actually given the opportunity to showcase, you know, pandemic is not where we want to be, right? It's, it's been horrible and, and not a good thing for a lot of people. Uh, also have to look and recognize that from an IT perspective, it's really made IT be able to be more on the forefront and not just about being the help desk folks, but being folks that can help develop and deliver solutions. And so it's really looking at delivering some new solutions, right? Whether it's uh, new programs through the different legislation that came in for COVID, right? And the CARES Act, where actually, you know, at the FCC, we delivered uh, the telehealth uh, program for COVID and providing telehealth um, providers with the ability to get reimbursable for uh, services and technologies um, in delivering telemedicine, telemedicine capabilities. And so for our, those things, that's great. New technologies are implemented. They're fast. They're great. But it does not uh, affect the change necessary for legacy systems, where sometimes Band-Aids over top of Band-Aids, as I just uh, spoke about a second ago, is what has been the, the traditional methodology. And I would say that's one of the things that it really needs to stop from a federal industry perspective. Yeah, I think, especially right now, that feels like a very tactical challenge that, that governments face, right? How can they how can they get past the, as you say, putting Band-Aids on these legacy systems and really look to modernize and make something fit for purpose? Um, as we're wrapping up, I'm curious to know when you look at the industry as a whole, the federal government, what do you see the biggest challenge being over the next five to 10 years through this modernization effort? If we're going to get to a point where we're not going to put band-aids on legacy systems, what do you see the biggest, uh, roadblock over the, over that next, let's say five, like I said, five to 10 years of getting there? That's a great question because it's almost like what's the crystal ball telling you, right, for the next five to 10 years? And 
Um, nobody saw a lot of things that are occurring today, you know, even six months ago or a year or two or three years ago. Um, so based on what we know today, I would say there's a couple of variables um, that we always have to keep front of mind. Um, security is, is one of the things that uh, I would say something that is in most CIOs and all of the CISOs mind is how are we delivering, you know, new technologies, services, and things like that in a secure manner. I think the executive order on zero trust and security, cybersecurity is something that um, continues to be at the forefront of CIOs. It's, uh, you know, having the executive order, they're good because they help get those things also in the front of mind of the, you know, leadership within agencies. Uh, not just the CIOs, not just the systems, but the programs and the missions are also aware of those things. But I think that's something that's going to continue to evolve as, you know, threats and, you know, the opportunities to, you know, ensure the services that we provide from a federal perspective are delivered in a secure manner. That's something that we have to make sure that we continue to evolve with it, you know, um, over time. And then, like I said, also having, uh, you know, folks have the appetite for change. Um, many times, you know, in our own personal world, we don't think about how much we've evolved in the last 10, 15 years. You know, my son can't imagine a world what it's like not to have an iPhone, right? When I was explaining to him that I didn't have my first cell phone until I was in my 20s, he kind of looked at me like I was strange. Like, how could you even live your life without it, right? And nowadays it's become essential. It's like we can't even get from point A to point B without looking at our maps to show what the traffic looks like. You know, and before in, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that wasn't even a thought of mine, right? You would maybe print out a map from Yahoo just to know how to get to point A to point B, but you had no idea what the different routes were, uh, you know, based on traffic. And so as technology evolves, Folks have to have that appetite for change within the workplace, within the federal government uh, sector, as much as they do in their personal lives. Why do you think they don't? I'm, I'm curious about this because you're absolutely right. And the ability for, we can call it kind of consumer-facing technology like an iPhone and an iPad, things like that, it feels very easy. It, do you feel like it's, to, to put it in a more technical term, like the interoperability it kind of just fits into everything that we're doing, or do you think there's other reasons why it, it's so much easier on our on the personal side to to use this technology in a more meaningful way pretty quickly? That's a good point on interoperability. I think that definitely has a play into it. Uh, a couple other factors I would say that play into it as well is the uh, risk factor, right? As far as what's your appetite for risk, uh, you know, and Really, you know, in their own personal world, if, you know, what do I risk as far as my phone? Uh, we don't actually think about it in those type of terms. Where in the government, you think, you know, on a risk side, much more so. And, and there's a lot of rules also that are applied that you don't have to apply in your own personal life, in your own personal devices. You know, when you look at, uh, you know, cloud services that are provided within the federal government, you know, you're looking for cloud services that are FedRAMP, you know, because what FedRAMP does, it actually 
allows uh, CISOs and CIOs not to have to worry about certain level of controls after they've done their due diligence to understand you know, what the parameters, what the protocols have been done on how to solidify the solution set. And, you know, nobody really thinks about that in their own personal life. You know, it's just too easy to think about the Google Cloud and uploading my photos and know that I can get to it uh, anywhere, anytime, right? But from a government perspective, there's a little bit more or a little a bit less, I'll say, of a risk appetite to do so. But then there's got to be a balance of having that appetite for risk. But then to me, again, it has to go back to the culture and appetite for change. Uh, it's really about, you know, making sure that because we've done something a certain way for the last 20 or 30 years, being able to change and say, okay, that's just not the way I need to do it. But also, you know, also taking consideration that there's certain legislations and there's certain laws and rulemakings that have to take place for us to make those changes available. Francisco, I, I appreciate the time today and your willingness to toss your CIO hat back on and kind of bring us into your world and some of the things that you faced. Any final thoughts you want to leave with the audience today? Uh, so first, again, Brian, thank you for this opportunity. It's, it's uh, love uh, to have these conversations because it, it's really something that as you talked about earlier, it's like, how do uh, I stay, you know, how I've evolved my career. And to me, having these discussions, it helps me learn as well, right? To, to think about things and really continue continuous learning and continuous understanding of, of uh, the world, and the, you know, federal services and things like that. But, um, you know, for me, it's really about what brought me to this opportunity at Salesforce is to really affect change in the current state of federal IT because there's truly a right opportunity to make these changes. Uh, it, you know, looking at the advances in digital technology that's happening in the private sector and really looking at how customer experience and the expectations for government delivery of those digital services can actually be implemented at agencies. You know, as I mentioned before, you know, COVID-19 pandemic has really made it clear that uh, you know, the government can function. We, you know, we can function not only in a pandemic situation, but we can take those lessons learned and apply it to how we move forward. Uh, you know, and then we have to make sure that we look at those executive orders, whether it's cybersecurity or customer experiences, and looking, making sure that we're leveraging and implementing those in the digital acceleration or digital transformation plans or IT modernization plans that agencies um, have been developing for the last few years, but it's looking at it, it shouldn't be kind of uh, shelfware or condenserware of here's the what the plan and what it looks like. It's something that it's a living, breathing document that should be changed and evolved over time. Um, so, you know, again, for me, it's, I just want to thank you for this opportunity for the discussion. And I would just really want to advise federal IT leaders to leverage the advances available in the private sector and take those lessons learned and build a true partnership with the private sector to help uh, the services and citizens in the mission. I think that's a really good point that, that you said around the, the fluid nature of what digital transformation looks like. It's really, the whole thing is a journey. There, I mean, the, the end point might be around a program, but ultimately an agency's digital transformation journey is never over. You're continuing to evolve. And um, I think that's a good reminder to, to those out there working in this space that this is something that 
um, needs to be continually addressed and looked at. So thank you for that. And thank you again for being here. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation as well. My pleasure. Thank you. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to govexec.com backslash podcast or wherever you access your podcast. And feel free to connect with me on Twitter at Chittis Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.